This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. The title of the book, I Kill, and the author, Murali Vanugapalan. And Murali joins us now on Author Talk. Great to have you with us. Thanks for having me. Good morning, Steve. This book is a fast-paced thriller, as you describe it. In fact, you say it'll keep your mind guessing and your knuckles white. (laughs) We're talking about terror striking a college campus through the use of technology. And in today's world, unfortunately, that's almost reality. So this is a scary, scary plot. Yes. I'm not quite sure where the idea you know, came to me, you know, I think obviously, you know, listening to the news and the reality, as you said, of, of events in the world today. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of it was, was pure imagination in terms of, uh, you know, development of the characters and the plot and, uh, you know, how, how the, how the plot proceeds toward the end. But, uh, yes, it, it's, an example of domestic uh, terrorism um, that unfortunately takes place on a rural campus uh, in southern Virginia. I was living in Virginia at the time. Um, fictional, uh, completely fictional, and um, uh, kind of you know, made up everything in my head. <laughs> and it's a classic whodunit. You're a great fan of Agatha Christie, Dean Koontz, uh, Stephen King. So this is uh, that kind of read, and uh, you might not sleep very well uh, if you read it before you go to sleep. That, that's the feedback I've received, uh, Steve. I think, uh, you know, it, it was my intention to write a pure detective story, and as I wrote the novel, you know, it turned into something that was a little more ominous and cryptic, scary. My main influences, as you said, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie, um, uh, Edgar Allan Poe actually wrote the first uh, uh, modern mystery uh, novel. Uh, and, uh, but, you know, and then later Dean Kuntz, uh, David Baldacci, uh, Stephen King, and, and some other writers, uh, greatly influenced by Kafka, uh, mainly for his humor, um, you know, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, it's a, it's a mystery novel that, uh, turns scary and, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think you know, as, as it would turn out, uh, is is a reflection of uh, what's going on in in current events. And the title "I Kill," of course, because of technology, is not spelled like we might think. Capital I and then K I L L. It's small I K I L L, with all being one word because of all that we know about in this high-tech world, iPhones, uh, iTunes. So here we have this serial killer, and he calls himself iKill. Yeah, he or she. uh, Oh, okay. uh, You know, uh, 
is this quote-unquote eye kill? And as you said, uh, small I and then capital K-I-L-L because there's all these things in technology that have I this, I that, and uh, I'm not just referring to, to Apple products, but um, the, the serial killer in this novel uh, uh, goes by, you know, the name of I kill. And uh, it's one of the, the obviously real characters in the novel, but, you know, goes by the title I kill. And what makes this novel, I think, extremely scary, and I have no idea where I came up with the idea. Again, pure imagination. Um, I love being creative, of course, as, as, as writers do, is this character I kill uh, targets um, one victim after another, and what he or she does is send emails to prospective victims, the next victim, and includes in the email an attachment or a couple attachments that are pictures of the last victim slain. And this is, you know, I mean, it's morbid, it's very scary, and it scares the hell out of, uh, you know, um, the reader, let alone the, the, the person reading the email, and you know, then that person fears that he or she's going to be the next victim. And as it turns out, that's what happens. So, yeah, the the name uh, I pretty much just came up with. And then, uh, you know, that that's what uh, this character that goes by Eichel does. So uh, the book is basically named after the pseudonym that... Uh, the serial killer uses. So this rural college campus, uh, Blackwood College in Virginia, obviously because of this, is paralyzed with fear. Here we have a madman lurking among them, and the detective, the private detective, Tom Malkin, he plays an extremely important part in the whole plot. Correct. Yeah, I enjoyed uh, creating the character of Tom Malkin, um, he is a Gulf War veteran. He's also an uh, Iraq War veteran, and he'd worked for Homeland Security, uh, an intelligence expert, and he's an alum of uh, Blackwood College. And what would happen is he's mainly, that the book begins where he's invited as an alum to give a speech on uh fighting international terrorism in the 21st century. And as it turns out, the night that he stays there, supposed to leave the next day for D.C., uh, the first murder occurs. And he feels an obligation and truly wants to to look into the matter and, you know, consults with uh, local law enforcement and says, you know, I've I feel an obligation. This is my alma mater. I studied here. I, I actually, you know, Edgar Hall, uh, which is where most of the story takes place, a residence hall, uh, was the residence hall in which he lived when he was a student there. So 
uh, Tom Malkin, uh, you know, uh, gets a thumbs up from from local law enforcement to help out, and you know, it, again, it, like as you mentioned, it's a it's a small, relatively small uh, rural campus. Um, they'd never had anything like this, uh, and you know, they welcome uh, and are honored by uh, his um, willingness to help out in the investigation, and and then he's much needed. Well, the adrenaline really pumps, obviously, with this kind of terror on campus. Let's talk about a couple more characters. Jerry Fowler. Oh, okay. That, uh, I was I was going to bring him up. I'm, I'm glad you asked about him. Uh, you know, each character has backstory. And uh, uh, Jerry Fowler is, uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, I should mention a little bit about the timeline. Um, this book takes place right after Thanksgiving break, when the students return from Thanksgiving break to the residence hall up to uh, finals week. So it's within about a, a, a fortnight. And uh, uh, Jerry Fowler uh, turns up late. And then he's He's kind of missing, then he's there. He's a very mysterious individual, uh, clearly hiding something. And he and, you know, a couple of the other characters, uh, they, um, they, they, you know, they have their own backstory. And in this case, the common backstory is use of drugs. Again, not something uncommon. Uh, unfortunately, in in college or in high school, for that matter, he's in on it with with some of the others, and it doesn't necessarily make Jerry a murderer. However, uh, he, he is uh, one of the prime suspects, and uh, you know Malkin and and officers Morgan and and Gall and and Foster and and so forth. Uh, they you know they look into his situation, but there's a very interesting twist in the book, and I would have to say it's uh, probably my favorite part of the book. It's in chapter 11, and there's a very interesting twist which takes place that involves uh, Jerry Fowler, and, uh, you know, from there, the reader thinks everything is done, and... I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> if uh, if anyone's interested, they can uh, you know Certainly. grab a copy of the book and read it and see what happens. I don't want to give it away, but there's a very interesting twist that happens with that character Jerry Fowler, and uh, so I, I enjoyed writing that part very much. Well, this is one of those classic mysteries with this puzzle. You get all the clues, the hints, uh, but it's still a mystery right up to the end and a lot of twists and turns. Before we leave, let's talk about Mindy Adams. Oh, okay. Uh, thanks for bringing her up, Steve. Mindy is, uh, you know, another serious student, like uh, the first victim, uh, Jenny, and, uh, you know, a few of the other students. You know, I'd say, you know, about half of the, the students in the in the novel are, are are serious and and the other half are you know just there to have fun or are reluctant students like um, uh, Zach Gillett 
uh, interesting character. He really wants to be a musician, but his parents forced him to to go to college. And so he's really in a place where he doesn't want to be. And as a result, uh, not a very happy individual. But uh, Minnie Adams, she, she receives an email from, again, this serial killer who goes by the name I Kill. And it scares her to death. And she can't get to sleep. Her head's ruminating, you know, thinking about who could this be? You know, there have already been two murders. And this is, I think, in, in, in about the middle of the book. And she basically decides, you know, she can't sleep. She's going to get up and, and take a shower. And, uh, you know, uh, they of course have these communal bathrooms and residence halls. So she goes, takes a shower. She's a little afraid to do so, but thinks that'll calm her down and let her get back to her room and, and go to sleep. And, uh, instead, uh, this character, Ikel, sneaks into the bathroom. Uh, one of Ikel's traits, by the way, uh, as well as some of the other characters is whistling or her whistling. She's in the shower, hears whistling, is scared. Suddenly a knife goes right through the shower curtain and, you know, I kill attempts many times, knowing he doesn't have much time to kill her and is unsuccessful. Her parents want her out of there and to come back home. She's injured. Uh, I kill doesn't get his or her way and, uh, and murder her. Uh, she's, Injured in in the shoulder, and taken to a hospital, treated, and her parents want her out out of uh, uh, you know the university and back home. Uh, Mindy refuses. She's a tough uh, individual, and uh, they put her uh, in an undisclosed location and you know protected. Uh, who can, um, you know, receive her homework and other things in that place. And uh, then she returns. And she returns uh, once uh, the police believe, including uh, Detective Malkin, that they have uh, solved everything. And then there's another twist. (laughs) And Mindy finds herself... Uh, petrified and targeted again and again I'm just going to leave it at that that's in the last chapter Um, and then the chase for her you know leads to uh, discovering the identity of I Kill again the title I Kill Murali tell us what's the best way to get your book oh it's um, it's available uh, at Amazon.com, uh, Barnes and Noble, or BN.com. Uh, so it's available online. Uh, it's in some Barnes and Nobles uh, bookstores. Uh, you know, I uh, was privileged to do several book signings. Uh, so um, you know, you might find it there. If not, they can definitely order it for you. And you know, I encourage everyone if they're interested in. Uh, uh, fast-paced mystery to uh to pick up a copy and and give it a chance give it a read i think 
you'll have some fun and and uh, you may not be able to sleep but you won't regret it <laughs> yes uh, it is that kind of a fast-paced thriller Murali thank you so much for joining us on author talk thank you very much Steve it's been a pleasure you're listening to author talk we'll be back right after these messages have you heard The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors. All quilters, just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled A Drill Sergeant's Fame, and joining me from New York State in the United States of America is the author, Kimberly May. Welcome to the program. Hi, Jay. Thanks for having me. Well, Kimberly, this is a fascinating book on many levels. It's not super long. It's 115 pages. How would you describe your book or your effort to the audience? Well, my book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame, is about when soldier recruits uh, graduate basic combat training. Everything they become is attributed to the effective training of their drill sergeants. And my book is meant to pay tribute to them as well as past and present soldiers. And it's really meant to um, spark readers thirst for life urging them to ardently pursue their ambitions. This this book is uh, an outcropping or an out, a result of your being in the military yourself. Uh, you experienced military life in, in what countries? Well, here in the U.S., of course, and then overseas in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan, were you involved in direct uh, conflict, or how would you describe your responsibilities there? Well, I was a generator mechanic, which involves... Um, flying out to other cops and fobs to um, fix the generators. So I have a very good understanding of the situation over there that I saw from my perspective, and I got to meet a lot of the local Afghans. Your your book is more than just a tell-all or a biogra- biographical sketch. You, you have um, uh, couched your writing in the form of poetry, which I found fascinating. I also found it interesting that most of your observations were not negative in, in nature. I mean, the uh, I, would you describe your book as really a positive uh, uh, approach to the story? Right. It seems to be an inspiration to others. Um, it's actually a poetry journal in which, with most of the poems, I've added um, personal journal notes to clarify maybe where I was or what I was thinking. And there's also blank pages for the readers to add in their own notes. 
you have photos also that you have taken during your your time in the military. You um, do you have any other life sources that have contributed to this? I mean, other experiences, I guess, is is probably a better way of saying that uh, beyond the military that that maybe have inspired you to do this. Well, I started writing young, and it's something I've always loved to do because I like the fact that you can write something down and five different people can read the same thing and yet have different opinions on what they read. So I guess writing has always fascinated me. Um, And I actually do come from the uh, same tribal area that um, George Bernard Shaw is from in Ireland. Hmm. The Macintosh plan, so it could kind of just run in my blood, too. <laughs> well, that's interesting. But I'm learning. I'm still a student and um, real excited uh, about my first book. It's the first one published so far. So, Do you have also a military background in addition to enrolling in the military? I, my understanding is your family has a, a fairly broad tradition of military service. Um, that's correct. I come from a large military family. We've had um, officers, um, enlisted personnel all throughout the ranks serve. Um, I did have, unfortunately, a couple cousins die from Agent Orange. Um, so I have a very large, rather, perspective on the whole military life and pretty much how it affects others around you. And that's something else I'm excited about my book is that I'm uh, donating a portion of the proceeds to help other veterans. Exceptional. So. Your book, mm-hmm. is it something that is going to be interesting only to military people, or will the, the regular public, who maybe doesn't have an insight into the life and liberties that are produced by the military, will they also find this a good read? Um, yeah, well, actually, I do have some reviews posted on my website, and one of the ladies that did a, an exceptional review thoroughly of my book, um, she has family members um, in uh, different uh, aspects of the service, like CIA and such. But what she uh, said in her review was that it made reading my book helped her to understand her family that served um, on a deeper level. Why do you think your book is... Um a positive or uplifting or motivational in style that for most readers would be a slight surprise when they understand where you are writing your your uh, observations from well i i have a love for life and experiencing new things and you know i was told in grade school that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So, and I found that to be 100% true um, thus far in life. <laughs> and uh, my book, I'd like to kind of impart that to others and it helps them, other people to see when you're in a dark situation, how if you just take a step back and, and look at all the aspects, there's usually a very positive uh, place that's a that's a very uh, phenomenal uh, life perspective i have a relative who is going through a dark place in a dark future perhaps and has chosen to focus on the dark and not the, the positive things that i absolutely could come from that situation and also uh, are surrounding them uh is there any of your poetry any of your pieces that you have penned that you think might be a good reflection or give people a good insight into to how you have approached this this writing material 
I'm sure. Uh, actually, I will read to you um, Afghanistan, Beauty or Boils, Things That Seem Aren't Always So. Mm. Um, on my way to a land that seems nothing more than sand. At a closer look, just take a glance. One can see out here there's a different kind of life and dance. Not one that's dreadful or sad to push forth a tear. Rather, a wondrous marvel captured in a whirlwind of fear. Life as it was so long ago, recent ages can ne'er behold. The beauty of a way so simple and light, not to us and shameful with a dark and gruesome sight. Those enemies who try to corrupt with an atrocious terror, we the U.S. military soldiers become the shearer. Teaching Afghans right, training each and every day, making a way for these Afghans to once take back their country and culture, no more to be jacked. Nemesis disbanded, freedom rings in a different way, making certain to destroy any and all Taliban protege. Excellent. Share a, a little more insight into the title, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. You yourself were not in a drill sergeant's capacity in the military, if I'm understanding your background, but still you Correct. focused on a drill sergeant's fame. Why the drill sergeant? Well, like I said, um, whenever a soldier makes it through basic training, everything they become is directly because of our drill sergeants. And they have a very, very tough life. It's really grueling, and it'll last for months and months before they even get a break. So, But I'll read to you uh, a short, shorter uh, caption of A Drill Sergeant's Fame, the poem. Beautiful. Which is what my book is named after. The drill sergeants we've come to know are prodigies at making us feel well. For their voices do precisely yell to viciously dish out hell. They love to exclaim, beat your face. We'd like to put in our eyes just a bit of mace. Tis a vengeful thought for now. I'm sure they have a secret calculating vow. And while running the two-mile race, our drill sergeants will be all up in our face. Hey, you, Riri, you're such a window licker. You better move those legs quicker. Our drill sergeants, or I'm sorry, that's our drill sergeant's way. They make us ball our fists and say, you rode the short bus, not I. We can tell by the demon in your eye. And then it goes on for a little while longer, but then at the end, I'm just going to read you the last portion, which is really what I was talking about before. Yes. So now at their best, we'll be seen downrange, together in combat, killing without shame. Stop and realize we'll be filled with pride, fighting to be, or to be fighting so fiercely right at their side. Then in there, this won't lie. Thank you, Jill Sergeants, for this long and ludicrous ride. Beautiful commendation for that difficult position in the military. You mm-hmm. have uh, have you developed any friendships that have been uh, carried beyond your military experience? I'm curious about that. Whether there's some lifelong friendships have developed, or whether it's just a respect for the positions and the duty of those who have served. Um, definitely some lifelong friends. Um, I'm actually going to be going down to a reunion for um, the 2nd 506, 101st. They're who I served with and went overseas. And uh, there's a couple females and other soldiers there that uh, I keep in contact with. And uh, Yeah, it's like a bond that just never goes away. Well, that's good to know. I, I have some of those bonds from my school relationships that go back many years, uh, longer than I'd mm-hmm. like to admit. And I, was, <laughs> I, I have not always uh, felt that military guys wanted to 
remember and stick with their buddies. Some of them do, some do not. Uh, so that's good news. I'm happy to hear that. Now, your book is is unique in that it is a, um, a military story, but it's done in a positive manner and also in poetic format. Is this book different from others in the marketplace, do you think? Um, yeah, there's actually no other poetry journals that I've heard of. Um, so in, in addition to adding insight after each poem, um, my book's uh, broken up into chapters. Uh, so you can readily ex- find uh, what you're looking for. And is there any, was there any difficulty or complexity in, in actually assembling the material for this? And if so, how did you overcome it? And how long did it take? Well, I actually wrote it um, in the course of about three years when I was in the military, and originally it was just uh, a collection of my thoughts, poems I wrote to help other females in basic and such. But as time progressed, I ended up um, seeing the value of my written words. Um, Some of my friends had read some of the things and um, really inspired me to actually go ahead with the publication process. And that in itself probably was one of the harder issues, you know. It was my uh, first time, first experience, but um, I went through Author House, and they were really explanatory and helpful through the process. And and are there one or two, maybe three words that might describe the underlying message that you have shared in your book? Um, Yeah, honor, hope, and perseverance. Hope and perseverance, wonderful words, and certainly uh, commendable work that you have com- accomplished. Were you uh, in in the process? Did you enjoy it enough that you may have a sequel to this particular release? Um. Well, I guess a, a sequel in essence. Um, the next novel that I'm working on um, is referenced is in reference to one of the poems that I wrote in the poetry journal, and it. Uh, takes you through a journey um, of a situation that a soldier finds themselves in, and then all of the repercussions and aftermath. But again, in a positive twist to uh, invoke inspiration and change in people. Wonderful. Well, we certainly need books and uh, articles that are positive in nature. Thank you for sharing your story and also sharing the contents of your book, A Drill Sergeant's Fame. My author has been Kimberly May. Kimberly, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Sure, you can go on my website. It's at kimmymay.com. That's K-I-M-M-I-E-M-A-E.com. And you can also find it on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. They can do a search under your name, too, Kimberly, spelled uh, in the traditional manner, and May, M-A-E, and uh, mm-hmm. find out about any books that may be released in the future and perhaps join you someplace on a fan page. Would love to, I'm sure, keep in touch with you and find out about more of your writing mm-hmm. endeavors. Thank you again for joining me today, Kim. Oh, you're very welcome, and thanks for having me. My pleasure. For Author House, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. In the 1950s, kids were about baseball, the Lone Ranger, and apple pie. In the 60s, it was war, finding your freedom in the monkeys. The 1970s brought disco, the Brady Bunch, and self-empowerment. When the 80s arrived, the youth of the world celebrated individuality in a rocking beat. The 90s whizzed by with lots of grunge and many shades of gray. Now, the turn of the century has come and gone, and today's youth has something to say. 
Young Mind Society is the voice of a new generation. Tune in on astronetradio.com Fridays at 6 p.m. Central to hear DJ Y, Carl Papa, Queen Meat, and Princess Jazz lay down the humor, ideas, and thoughts of the now. Remember, Young Mind Society, Fridays at 6 p.m. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Quicksand, a Family Foundation, book one. And the author is Victoria Thomas, and Victoria joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Victoria. Hi, good afternoon. Great to have you with us. Very intriguing book one, part of a trilogy. We'll talk more about book two, book three later in this interview. But this first book, as you put it, the story of your paternal side of your family. And this this book really focuses on your great-grandparents. But I also love the prologue, which is focused on you at Ellis Island, which we'll discuss yeah. as well. But as you put it... This book is a twisted saga of lives intertwined with the unexpected continually directing their fate, and many can relate because unexpected events occur in all our lives, but these main characters, we're, we're, are the main characters the women? The main characters are, are the women, but, and everything is, on again, like you said, on the paternal side. The main characters, I would say, the heroines or the protagonists are the women. The men are, of course, an integral part of it and how their lives affect the women. But it's the theme of all three novels, historical novels, is that insecurity within the women in their personal lives, yet each of the women whether it's my great-grandmother in Quicksand, my grandmother Lillian, which is in book two, or my mother in book three, or myself. We're all extremely successful, as well as my sisters, in our business lives. But with personal relationships, there's a deep insecurity. And so it's like um, a paradoxical situation. Before we get into those details. Tell us a little bit about your background and how this book came about. Oh, I'd be glad to. The prologue, Coming to America, talks about how my family ended up in America. And it wasn't to chase the American dream. It was that my sister uh, had to have an operation. And that operation nowadays would be probably pretty simplistic but at the time it was uh, innovative and nothing had been done in Wales in the United Kingdom to correct her situation which was one leg was longer than the other. My aunt and uncle, my father's sister and her husband had come to America and my uncle found a doctor that wanted to do this operation on my sister. It was only the second one. First one that he'd done was un- unsuccessful on another girl but my sister her the growth plate in her which we'll call the the good leg had not it wasn't final it it was still she was still growing and so they the operation was extensive where they put pins in the uh, kneecap of that leg then as she grew 
the other leg caught up and when they were even the pins were released which sounds again very simplistic but at that time this doctor in England he was published over it it became an operation that helped many many children and that's how we came to the United States and we came through Ellis Island like all the immigrants did which was very poignant for me as a child and for my father and for my for my little family there were five of us you remember even till today tears streaming down your father's face when he got there there's the statue of liberty what do you make of that today what what was going on in his mind and in his heart i think in my father in his mind he had fought in world war ii uh, he was a lieutenant colonel in the british army I think when we were coming in, he was leaving everything he knew behind, his success in the Army, his family that's in Wales and England. And I think the tears were tear, mixed tears, tears of joy for my sister, tears of sadness and regret leaving his homeland. And I think all of those things mixed together. And it was a drizzly, dreary day in December. And it was cold. And we were standing out on the deck as we came in. And there were all the tugboats were everywhere. And, you know, it was pretty daunting. And I think that it was just mixed emotions for my dad. This book one begins with the family in the early 1800s, uh, your great-grandparents. Yes. And as you put it, stretches across France, England, Wales, and eventually America. And then you talk about deceit, lies, secret, character flaws. Give us some insight into how those interacted and played this very important part, unfortunately, in the family's lives. The great-grandparents, obviously, I don't know much about them at all. This book is basically fiction, other than I knew when they were born, when they died, when they had their children. My cousin that still lives in Newport, Wales, was able to get a lot of information for me. And so it's based, it's very loosely based on facts. And that's basically all the facts there are. The rest of it is imagination. The reason I wanted to write the book is when I was a little girl, and I can remember it was at the age of five, and my father's mother, my, my grandmother, would come over from England and she would stay with us. I used to question her. I just, I was fascinated. I always loved history and, and I used to ask her questions and sometimes she would talk to me about things and sometimes she wouldn't and her bedroom we had a split level home in ocean city new jersey and her bedroom was on the the bottom floor and there were twin beds and sometimes she'd let me sleep in there and i'd get to hear all of her stories and and it was just fascinating and i loved it and i just couldn't wait to put my everyday life behind me and be able to sit down and really write but what's so strange about all of it is everything she told me was a lie. I mean, it's it's just amazing. And so when we get into book two, we'll we'll find out a lot about that. All the way down to our last name that my father had was not his real last name. And it's just fascinating. 
when I was, oh, I guess my, I must have been about 30, my grandmother passed away. And my dad was executor of her estate. And so he and my mother flew over to England and they got, they got to her house and it was a sea of black garbage bags. My cousin had flown over on the Concorde and all the paperwork was gone. Everything was gone. And so thinking we were going to find out everything that was true uh, didn't really happen. We've, I've had to dig. And again, I have a cousin that lives in, in Newport, Wales, who's gone to great lengths to help me. I mean, she's even gone to the hospital where my grandfather died and demanded all of his records, which we've got. I mean, it's just great. We, we've got those records of his illness and his death. And she was able to get a lot of that. But everything that my paternal grandmother told me that fascinated me was not true. <laughs> So digging through that has been quite a revelation. So this deep insecurities that you've talked about that run through especially the women in the family, is is this all part of this? Is this all part of the history of that yeah. you are writing about that has caused this kind of pain in, in the individuals? I, I think so. I think that... that the women sought their, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, the best word for it, their validation. They sought their validation through career, a career path. Their validation didn't come from themselves and didn't come from a man because the men in their lives, it, there's so many twists and turns that, and tragic things that happened and fate stepping in. So basically... There's many things that happened, and I think a lot of things that happened have to do with having children, being rejected, and that's all part of it. So it's it's a very intricate, tangled web, and the reader will work through it as they go through the whole trilogy. I, just, I know that many people that have read book one, Quicksand, I've had excellent feedback on, and I, I've been very, very pleased with that. They can't wait for book two. And the reason book two isn't out yet is because I've had uh, things in my own personal life that have have held me back. But it, it will be out within the next probably six months. And that'll be about your grandmother, and then book three about yes. your mother. It'll be about my grandmother my sisters and myself and my father a lot about my father of course my mother and then when we get to the last book it's it'll bring it up to date to uh what's really happened to all of these family members and people with how did they get so scattered why do we have a global family well it's it's a it's a very strange type of family unit and it's it's sad very sad well, as you put it, you have come to understand turbulence, instability, and flaws that were deep-seated in the family lineage. And uh, great to get to know family, though. It, it, regardless of, of what we discover, there's an important tie there that I think that's what makes family history genealogy such a, 
uh, I guess it's the number one hobby. You know, I think a lot of people have have really gotten into their ancestry. There's a television show now that's uh, on that movie stars look at, you know, where they came from and they travel all over the world. And and I think that really piqued a lot of people's interest. Myself, I've just always been interested. I've always loved history. I've loved my family history. And so it's it's been a... I think, as you say, it's probably one of the number one pastimes, people looking into their ancestry, that there's a a couple sites on the Internet that are just huge, and I think they're very lucrative for the as a business. Right. Yeah, I think you're talking about Ancestry.com. Is a, Ancestry.com is one of them, right, yes. Very, and very I mean, I've gone, I've gone to it, and as a matter of fact, I think the most startling thing that I found, and I sat there and just stared at it like I was seeing ghosts flying around my head was the ship's manifest and I can see from the Mauritania and I can see my mother's name, my name my sister's name what we had with us what the dates were, it's it's fascinating yeah it's fascinating and riveting that's for sure see your name written there and you were basically a baby I was three I mean it's just unbelievable We've been talking with Victoria Thomas. She's the author of Quicksand, a family foundation, book one. Victoria, tell us, what's the best way to get your book? You can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Google or, you know, Google it, and you can find wherever different places are that sell it. And uh, also through Author House. So there's several different methods of getting the book and I, I would like to say that I've enjoyed talking to you about the book and and I've loved writing it and I can't wait to get book two finished and get that out there so people can continue on with the saga that's very I think intriguing do you have a title for book two you know I'm wrestling with it okay. uh, so I can't tell you I've got a definite a definite title yet Well, thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us on Author Talk. Steve, I want to thank you, and I hope you have a wonderful afternoon, and thank you for being interested in my book and sharing it with others. 